0: Please be mindful that this episode is for mature audiences and contains difficult content pertaining to childhood sexual abuse and may be triggering for those on the journey in healing. Please take good care of yourself. Interior Motives is a podcast that amplifies the unique voices and interior lives of Black and brown people from various industries, backgrounds, and walks of life visionaries who have overcome adversities and are doing extraordinary things in the world and in their communities, yet like you and me, reflect the complexities of the human condition. Hello, beautiful people. This is Shaylin Foster, and welcome to another episode of Interior Motives. Today's conversation is with the prolific writer, author, and content creator, the fabulous Chanel Coleman. You don't want to miss it, so take a moment, relax, grab a cup of coffee or some tea, and let's talk. Chanel Coleman is a native of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She is the creative powerhouse behind CC's Link, an innovative storytelling company that conveys powerful narratives through poetry, books, playwrights, fashion, blogs, and motivational speaking. She is significantly inspired by her late mother's penchant for prolific storytelling and developing a strong sense of faith. As a survivor of abuse, Chanel believes in passing on communication skills she developed to cope in those environments. She is also an accomplished playwright and her latest project, a gospel stage play entitled The Beautiful Truth About an Ugly Lie, scheduled to be released soon. Please check out her website for details. Her greatest accomplishment, however, forever remains becoming a mother to her 6 beautiful children and Gigi to her two grandchildren. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the fabulous Chanel Coleman. How are you, Chanel?
1: I'm doing amazing. How are you?
0: Good, 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 good. I am overjoyed and just thrilled to have you on Interior Motives today.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have to say your your, your book, you're just beautifully written. It's had me in my feelings, my dear. <laughs> really? My really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really spoke to um, not only your incredible journey, but it really is a representation of, I think, a lot of women and just kind of some of the things that folks are grappling with. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, I definitely do.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, you've had an incredible journey, Chanel. So much grief and loss, trauma and disappointments. And through it all, you have overcome just just great odds. You know, ultimately, I, I I definitely see you as a warrior. You know, and you just continue to keep swinging and fighting and um, just staying in the game in such a beautiful way. So I I just I'm I'm so appreciative of you being willing to be transparent and to really share your heart today and really this book. I mean, I thank you for such a beautifully written book, which is kind of like part memoir as well as devotional. And it's definitely a experience. I mean, you describe it as a transformational experience and it truly is just that.
1: Well, praise God. First of all, let me just say that Yeah. I I really appreciate opportunities to be able to be authentic. I think it's because people truly grapple with um, how we feel others are going to view us and it was very a very liberating experience um just to be amassed and not feel like I had to put on a pretense and just have an opportunity to be very real um because I believe that Christ can work with us best when we're um real about where we are and who we are and you know where we are in this journey and so you know, I'm just thankful. And I'm really, uh, I admire you so much, Aileen. So thank you uh, so much for the very uh, kind words.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I admire you. And, you know, just to give folks some context, I remember you and your family. I, I had just came into the church, the SDA church in Milwaukee. I think I was a I don't know, maybe about 20 at the time, maybe just turned 20.
1: Yeah, you were young. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) And I think you were maybe nine.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Something like that. You were still a baby.
1: Yes, Henry's little sister.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I had such fond uh, memories of your family, your mom and grandmother in particular. I, you know, being someone coming into that space, I dealt with a lot of um, different attitudes and and perspectives <laughs> and perceptions, really did. and so
2: <laughs> and
0: so, your mom and grandmother were always oh. always genuinely kind to me, and I I, I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, they're, they're amazing people. And like I said, you uh the fosters are like, you know, extended family. So it just felt like one of the, you know, it just felt like so much, you know, sometimes you meet a person and they just fit and they just click, you know, you are definitely that just somebody that I just have always thought was just so beautiful, both inside and out. Sometimes you can meet people who have a very, you know, beautiful exterior, but their inside is just like horrible. Um, just not your story at all. And just, you know, a songstress. <laughs> so I mean, it's just like, I mean, and talented, too. So it's just like, you know, an amazing, amazing woman. So just I've always admired you always wow she's just so amazing (laughs) yeah
0: that that's that's so sweet and and too kind too kind I I guess we could have a love fest today you know because (laughs) because, because I'm extremely just awed by your journey and your transformation I think at the time when I first you know met you as a child you were uh, obviously a preteen and you know, still still a little tomboyish, I believe yes, at the time. Yes. and um, you have just blossomed into this uh, just beautiful, extraordinary, phenomenal uh, woman. and um, I'm looking forward to getting into um, your story for the listeners. Why don't you take me back, Chanel? why don't you take me back? And just kind of, you know, give us more context in terms of just your family of origin, you know, kind of some of the things that really shaped and informed just how you move through the world as a Black woman.
1: Uh, Definitely. I am the middle child of three children born to uh, my mother, my father, Henry, and Brenda Coleman. Grew up in a very loving household right here in the Midwest, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My older brother is significantly, he was 12 years older than me. And I have a younger brother who's two years under me. God gifted me a sister after that, that I got through Christ. So that was an amazing experience as well. Grew up in a very loving, uh, very giving um, Christian family. My mother was uh, really deep into the church. Uh, My father, not so much. But he really respected all the values that my mother was trying to instill um within me. And so although she was the person of faith in the in the household, my father never tried to serve that or tried to um do something to like malign what she was doing. He really kind of just went with whatever it was that she felt that we were impressed that she was impressed to do. He just really supported that. And so I grew up in the SDA church. Matriculated through Sharon SDA school, uh, very uh, close knit with family and extended family. Uh, we actually resided in the family households. So my grandmother and grandfather and aunts and uncles stayed in the second floor of the house. And then there was an attic. And so I had an uncle who stayed up in the attic. And then my family and I, we stayed on the first floor. And so my family, because of my father's illness, he had HHT, that's uh, hereditary hemorrhaginic telenoidgetasia. Because of that, he uh, no longer worked outside of the home. So my family began to open up their home to foster children. And so although it was just my brother and I, my younger brother and I at home, majority of the time, because of the age difference, we were around a lot more children because of that. Um, because of the foster care system here in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and so I grew up with a family that was very supportive and uh, kind. But my father was very much a, so a disciplinarian. Uh, he said what he meant, he meant what he said, and okay. I'm appreciative of all of those things because it helped to shape me into the person that I am today.
0: You talk about obviously you were rooted in in the church, and you know, spiritual had strong spiritual faith and values you know, with strong faith and with, you know, growing up uh, in a Christ-centered environment, there also, especially during that time, was a lot of shame, okay? A lot of shame, a lot of stigma as it related to, you know, unconventional choices or things that just kind of didn't align with what we deemed as, as Christian values. And then also, you know, when if folks were doing things that were not in alignment with uh, that particular construct, oftentimes it was kept swept under the rug or, you know, it was a, kept a secret. You know what I'm saying? I think that's historically how Black folks and folks of color have kind of just dealt with yeah. issues and things that were deemed as shameful. I guess with all of that talk to me about your decision to write this book because you know even just by the the name the title naked and not a shame it speaks to your decision or your revelatory decision to really speak truth and so how did folks respond to that
1: um well the first of all the decision to do it I actually to write the book, I um, was visiting Opal University down in um, Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, we were getting ready to take my um, second oldest child, Tatiana, down to um, college days. And I went with Sister Selena and a very good girlfriend of mine, Nicole Thurman. We went down and um, it was actually- And
0: that's where you that's where you matriculated as
1: yes. well. Yes. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is. So I brought her back to familiar grounds because it was a good place for me. So I we went there that weekend and Pastor Bird was the um speaker. He was the um uh, over at the church at the time and he just mm-hmm. did a very amazing sermon and I for, I can't remember which woman in the Bible that he was speaking of, but I just uh it really resonated with me and I thought, "Wow, I feel so connected with mm-hmm. this woman." And I just thought, I said, "Man, I bet you there are so many other women who connect to various women in the Bible. And Mm -hmm. um, so on the way back, I was like, you know, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a devotional. And I don't know if they thought I was serious or not, but I was like, I'm going to write a devotional. And on the way back, I started. I actually Mm -hmm. wrote the second day of the book, which is the day that um, I talk about my first encounter uh, with sexual abuse. and. It was actually the easiest thing to write because it was so familiar for me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And when I thought of just bearing my soul, that was just the first thing that kind of came to me. And so I said, you know, I started writing. I ended up putting it down afterwards and it took some time for me to come back to it. But when I picked it back up, I picked it back up right from that story. And I built everything else around that story. And in it, I talk about um I was like four or five years old at the time. And my parents pretty much stayed in, you know, they really didn't do too much things outside of the house outside of having the children involved. And I think this was like the first thing they had done in years. Um, they mm-hmm. had left us with my grandmother who was very doting, and this is back in like early, early like late seventies maybe Mm -hmm. early 80s you know very different time period and you could go outside and you could go by a neighbor's house and stay outside till the street lights came on just that type of feel good you know you treat someone like family if you met them those types of things and so i had been playing next door at my next door billy my next door neighbor did billy's house for you know since i could remember and Mm -hmm. um this particular day as we were playing my older foster brother named Tony, who was always constantly doing something to, uh, to, you know, to nerve me, told me I needed to come inside the house and that my father wanted me. And so it wasn't until we were, because my house, I'm so used to everybody being there, some kind of activity. The house was just quiet. Everything was dark um, as a contrast to what, you know, the light that was outside. And that's the, I said, the first time when you feel like a kind of like a gut feeling of something is wrong or something is off, but you can't really uh, speak to it or what it is, but just you just feel off as, you know, as he continued to just kind of lead me to where just watching and waiting to see where I would go and, you know, telling me where he would, where I could find my father, which was odd because my father, you know, you know, thinking back on it now, I can't remember a time that my father would have just stayed in the room, but it didn't make sense to me. And as a child, you know, you're not really thinking someone is is um, doing something to deceive you,
0: you know? you Right. A- Especially <laughs> you had been around this person mm-hmm. for a long time, right? You're taking it as yeah.
1: face. Now, he was a prankster, which is why I didn't believe him at first when he was first telling me to come in. But, you know, he's saying he's in there. I'm just kind of accepting that that's where he is. And so it's at that moment that we're both alone in the room, you know, and the feeling gets worse and, you know, you're, I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to tell my dad, you know, that's kind of what my thought process is. And,
0: uh, and you're five. Yes. (laughs) You're Five. Okay. (laughs)
1: Five. And so, you know, as he, as he grabs me, you know, as I'm walking past him, you know, and he's picking me up and it's like it's when I tell you it's just like I guess shock because it just doesn't you know it's just very quick, you know, and throws me on the bed and begins to take off my clothes and i I will say i didn't feel as fearful until you know he just totally uh, exposed himself. You know what I'm saying? Um, it was just like, you know, very shocking, very, um, made me feel very, uh, just uncertain, you know, uh, not understanding, like I knew this was wrong, but I, you know, it's just something that you're not expecting and things of that nature. And so as I'm trying to figure out how to get help or how can I get out of this? You know, I'm realizing it's just the two of us, you know, there's nobody else in the house, you know, wow. and, you know, all I could say was just that God that was saying, you know, fight. And so I'm bucking I'm doing different things, but because of our, you know, size difference, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not really affecting him anyway. And You know, it wasn't until, you know, God is just like, you know, I just clearly as they heard bite and I'm thinking like, bite, well, where do I, where could I possibly bite him at? And, you know, in order to get away. And, you know, I just saw the spot when he was raising up and I'm like, okay, I just put my head up and I just bit down on his thigh as hard as I could for as long as I could, you know, I watched him scream Mm -hmm. and I just continued biting until I knew once I let go he wouldn't be thinking about me, he fell back and I just took off running, you know, and I when I got to that back door and I'm pulling on it and it's locked, and I'm scared that he's coming to get me and I'm trying to get the lock and I'm trying to get it, and I finally get the lock, you know, and I run up the stairs and the light is up in the stairs because the you know the windows are there in the hallway as I'm going upstairs to my grandmother's house. And I'm feeling like so, you know, like I'm, I'm getting away. I'm making it. I'm making it. I'm making it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even thinking of the fact that I'm naked at that time. I'm just running. And mm-hmm. um, I get to my grandmother and she's just has this expression on her face. Like her face, her mouth is open. She's staring at me. She's speechless. And I can't even figure out yet why she's speechless because I'm thinking like, I'm doing a good thing. I'm running, you know, and I'm getting help, you know, and I'm going to a person mm-hmm. I can trust. And you know, she just screamed and she was just like, "Chanel, you know, where are your clothes?" And I'm and as soon as she said it, it was like I felt so shameful at that moment mm-hmm. when she said, you know, "Where are your clothes?" Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm naked," you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I have to Tell her what happened, why I'm naked, and so mm. that feeling really uh stuck with me. You know what I mean um as mm. a kid when you're young, you just kind of talk about stuff, and so I would talk <laughs> I would talk about that, and I would talk about that I mean just mm-hmm. out the clear blue, hey, guess what? you know what happened? you know, and my I'm seeing my mother's face because you know I'm talking. And I'm not thinking it's a bad thing
0: you you, you like, Were you talking about the experience? Yes.
1: I would just talk. I would just say it. And I would see my mother's facial expression if somebody said something like what Chanel said. You know. And I would see people's expression when I would say it. And then it just kind of told me, although no one said, don't talk about this. I was just like, okay, I I shouldn't be talking about this. And so I Mm -hmm. stopped talking about it because of what people's reactions were. Yeah. And so I stopped. And, you know,
0: as a child, you know, you're still trying to make sense of it all. And perhaps even trying to normalize it by talking about it. There's so many, I mean, there's so many variables. Mm -hmm. So how did your family, you know, how did they deal with that? How did they shepherd you through that experience? It,
1: it was it was different. Um, I had okay. to go down to the police station and they had filed a report. And because he, he left, mm-hmm. um, okay. he ran after that.
0: Tony was how old at the time?
1: Tony was about like 14, okay. 15, somewhere up in that area. Right. They were like much older than me. See, my older brother was about mm-hmm. that age, too, a little bit older. You know what I mean? But, but my brother, he attended right. boarding school uh, in Wisconsin, Academy, at Wisconsin Academy. Academy. So my brother wouldn't. So he wouldn't nice. be there, you know, but during the summertime, and right. you know, or on the little breaks. But when my brother was there, then they then those two would be, you know, about the same age. So. um yeah, it was it was different. Um, like I said, I just really kind of like every, my aunties, my aunt Alice, everybody, I've just anytime I would just start talking about it, and but like I said, it was just a lot to take in. And um the more I shared with different people, their reactions just kind of taught me that. And like I said, my mother, I think she just felt a lot of guilt because Parents, you know, in particular, but just especially mothers, we wanna protect and we wanna nurture and we wanna do all those things. You know, she really didn't do too much more after that. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they did things too much before that if we weren't included. But I really can't remember a time after that that they really did something just the two of them, you know, alone. You know what I mean? Um And I think it, you know, in a large part, you know, was due to that. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I think it was just a lot of guilt um, that she had, even though she didn't do anything wrong. Um, My grandmother, she didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't anything outside of the norm. I would have been playing over there if my parents were there. You know what I mean? Um, And so it's just, uh, you know, the way the circumstances happened to Mm -hmm. um, fall on that particular day. You know, that was a day that was outside of a norm. I think it just, we all kind of uh, were broken in different ways. You know what I mean? And sometimes you just don't know how to fix your broken. You just know that you're broken.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Was there any discussion or was there an attempt to uh, seek counseling?
1: No. You know what? I don't think that that was something that even, you know, really... Like, even occurred to them at the time.
0: Yeah, and which was common because you know that really wasn't a part of the landscape at that time.
1: No, it, it really <laughs> wasn't. And so, just a lot of praying, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Right. um A lot of trying to, you know, have more conversations. And but then, like I said, sometimes it's, I think it was just difficult, and sometimes you just don't even know how to fix your child or help the situation, you know what I mean? And sometimes, Mm -hmm. like I said, you just can't project guilt onto yourself. And sometimes that guilt can just put you in a place where there's, you're just bound yourself. Mm -hmm. You're kind of, you know, just trapped into it. So, like I said, I think it also... You know, affected my mom on some different levels because as I became, you know, older and as we talked about different things, you know, she had encountered some things, you know, in her own experience. Right. So I think sometimes um, these things can put you into spaces that, you know, you're not planning to encounter and you don't really know how to deal with because you have your own baggage.
2: Right. If she was triggered. To
1: carry, yeah. Right hmm So I think that it was just, I just, in that sense, I think we were just all kind of broken and just trying to figure out how to manage broken.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. How did you make sense of it as you were growing up? And I know that you talk about experiencing other trauma, other incidents where you felt like you were not in control. And so just dealing with that early experience and then kind of later dealing with some other incidents that left you traumatized. How'd you make sense of all of it?
1: I want to say, I don't know if I can necessarily say it was sense, but um, I did okay. things to get me through it. One of those things was definitely having a strong sense of faith that my, you know, having still from my mother and grandmother. Um, also, it was writing. I began writing at a very early age between the ages of like seven and eight. Writing has always been like therapeutic mm-hmm. and very medicinal to me. And um, one, I think a lot of the ways why it really resonates with me is because a lot of times when you feel like you mm-hmm. are losing control and you're not able to dictate how things are going to go, in writing, I can mm-hmm. control everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, characters do stuff if I say they can do it and when Mm -hmm. I can say and and how and um that for you know it kind of like gave me back a sense of control writing really kind of spoke to me because it helped me to be able to process you know as I'm writing about certain things so when I do have things to me that are very hard Mm -hmm. for me to deal with I immediately begin to write it just puts me into a space where I'm able to process things a little bit better. I feel like I get back control. Sometimes you feel muted as if someone right. is stolen your voice and writing empowers me and it gives me back my voice. So it is like a tool that I use when I feel like I'm losing control and I need to gain control of something, right. I'll begin yeah, to that's write.
0: Wonderful. That's wonderful. And, and really, uh, you know, life affirming, because so often when you experience trauma, you can go to such a a numb, unfeeling place. Yeah. So, you know, I guess when I talked about making sense of it, I guess I was more thinking in terms of reconciling and, you know, how did those traumas manifest you know, in your world, in your mind, in your coming of age story. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, I want to say my early, very young adolescent years. Um, I suffered a lot of abuse. Of abuse. I was very susceptible to it. As I got older, I kind of uh, developed what I felt like was a protection mechanism. I consciously put on um, weight. I stopped caring about mm-hmm. my appearance as much. Um, I didn't really put too much emphasis into it. I started back being a, a little bit more um, tomboyish, not to the extent that I was when I was like early, earlier years, but I just didn't do anything to really appear like overly feminine. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I felt like. That was going to somehow help me in a way to um, prevent things from happening to me, um, things that I couldn't control. And as I continue to uh, grow and to learn, at first, you know, you kind of look at yourself as a victim. You know, this happened to me. You know, I was abused by this relative or um, this stranger did this, or this family friend did this, Mm -hmm. you know, so there must be something in me that's making people do this. You take on a lot of ownership for things Mm -hmm. that don't have anything to do with you or resonate with you or anything. And it's not even about sex or sexuality. It's more about control. And, you know, in the beginning, you're blaming yourself and you um feel like you are a victim. I I do wanna say this, my Aunt Renata, mm-hmm. I think I might have been like 16 years old. She bought me a book and the book was saying how, you know, you're a survivor. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a really um life uh changing viewpoint for me mm-hmm. because before I kind of always looked at myself as a victim. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I started reading um, over the book that she gave me, I started to see myself in a different lens, you know, um, because it just continually affirmed that, you know, you are a survivor, you are a survivor. And so Mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a survivor. I didn't really know what to do with that, but I took that with me and I held that, you know, to me as I continued to grow. Um, And um, as I've come into adulthood and maturing and at the uh, wonderful age of 45, I now understand that, you know, it's an empowering thing. I've definitely survived, but I've survived for what purpose to be able to help other people who feel like they have lost their voice, people who feel like they've been muted, people who feel like they have no control be able to be able to speak their truth and be able to walk in its power mm-hmm. and feel uh naked and not ashamed in whatever that is journey that they are on uh, whether it's grief whether it is um abuse, whether it's um just dealing with various types of trauma or other pains um that you know it's okay, and you know whatever it is that you've survived from that whatever type of thing issue that you were dealing with. Um, and so, like I said, it's just more about being able to, um, help someone else in their journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how, I mean, I guess at what age, I know that you talk about in the book about, uh, going off to college and and how transformative that.
1: was. Oh, yes, wow. yes. So I graduated high school at 17, uh, I, my birthday's in September so when I started Oakwood it was like two weeks before my 18th birthday mm-hmm. and I'm telling you the whole car ride down there I am like in a black mood I did not want to go at all I'm thinking oh really you know I hate this place <laughs> you know I went up to boarding school I went to Broadview for two years you know it was out in the country I'm like my mother's just taking me someplace I don't even want to go here. Right. You know, right. like, you know, why is she sending me here? And back then Huntsville was not as developed as it is now. So, so, what, so it wasn't
0: it wasn't popping. It not pop back no, then.
1: No, not at all. <laughs> I'm like I told t- I write Tina, I'm like, it's a bunch of trees everywhere. Like, you can't <laughs> even see any buildings down here. And um, you know, I hated it and I was so upset with her for taking me down there. But at the same moment I was sad because she couldn't stay. She's like, I gotta go. I gotta, you know, I gotta get back. I gotta go to work. And I'm like, you don't just leave me. Are you gonna bring me down here? Are you gonna leave? Um, But it, it changed my life. Mm. Um, There is just something uh, magnificent about those grounds. Mm -hmm. You know, I can honestly say that I had no sense of direction. Uh, When I went down there, I was just really lost and um, wondering. And sometimes when you're lost, you don't even know you're lost. Um, Spending two years um, in a predominantly um, white Adventist boarding school, dealing with a lot of prejudice uh, issues and various things and being, you know, so much so in the minority not really finding too many people who look like you You can identify with your struggle, where you're at. You know, I just didn't know who I was. It does a number on
0: your self-esteem. It
1: does. It really does. Especially dealing with self-esteem issues, you know, like I said, from not Mm -hmm. really for so many years, not really putting an emphasis. Like I had just started to kind of like feel like, well, okay, maybe I'm not as ugly as I feel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Going to oakwood did an amazing boost for my self-esteem seeing so many beautiful black men and women you know teachers who look like me students and Mm -hmm. faculty and staff you know pastorials to everybody who can identify with some type of part in my journey you know what i mean it really did something amazing for me i want to say there are people who i have connections with to this day, you know, and that's been well over 20 years ago. And I wasn't looking for Christ when I went Mm -hmm. there, you know, but I found him while I was there. Mm -hmm. And um, that experience has been so surreal. It's a part of me that I've tried to keep on even now, just trying to hang on when I feel disconnected from christ when i feel like i don't know which way to go or how to get back or if i can get back do i want to get back that's always a time i can look back into my life and miss that companionship that i had growing and just really beginning to know him as an adult and um Mm just making him my savior all over again. You know I mean? You you can fall in love with Christ as a child, which I did, but then I got like, you know, put off by various things and then just reconnecting. It was very powerful. So like I said, I absolutely adore um, Oakwood. Uh, It was college then, university now, but it's an amazing place and space for people to be able to grow and to learn and become a professional, but so much more you build Last long lasting relationships. And like I said, there's nothing like that spiritual absolutely. experience down there on those. Yeah. it's just something magnificent. You have to try it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you talk about God becoming personal for you. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely nothing like that. So. When you were down there, did some of the, the things that you had struggled with, did it, you know, how did it manifest itself? Did it manifest itself during college years?
1: Actually, yes. I had a a, a guy who I thought was right. We were, we were really cool. And um, sometimes when you are abused, you can feel trapped, like you're back in, you know, wherever you first encountered your abuse. And, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, had a guy who was just doing a lot of, you know, you're, you're talking, you're, everything is fun. I'm seeing you strictly as a friend and I'm not really seeing you in that, in that light. And sometimes you can have communications or just, you know, being a little bit more in common with a person. And then, you know, people do things to cross boundaries, you know? Right. And sometimes, When people cross boundaries, I've had moments where, excuse me, I couldn't speak to it. You know, I don't like what's happening. I'm not, I'm uncomfortable with what's happening yet. The words won't come out of my mouth. And, um, you just kind of feel trapped, you know? And I, um, so He made some unwanted advances and, you know, I could finally, after a while, you know, tell him like, you know, I, I I don't see you like that, you know, and I'm not Mm -hmm. really interested in having a a sexual relationship with you. And he had a girlfriend at the time who was, you know, we were cool, you know, we were in Carter Hall together and Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it just changed how I saw him after that, because I was like, you know, I, I don't know what about me gave you the impression that it was okay for you to be able to handle me. You know what I mean? And touch me in those types of ways when I've never expressed the interest in you. I speak to you and your girlfriend, you know what I mean? And I, you know, I don't see you that way at all. You know what I mean? And I didn't, you know, sometimes you can think what person might, they might could like you. I don't know, but it wasn't anything like that, and I just felt like I don't know what about me. And again, sometimes you put you put the focus back on you, on you, you
0: personalizing it, right. it and not mm-hmm. realizing that you know he's just a brother just trying to test some boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it, you know.
1: Yeah, but sometimes you just begin to take ownership of people's mess and say, "Well, was mm-hmm. something I did that made him think that it was okay to do it?" You know what I mean? And so you just sometimes you have to just check yourself and say, you know, it's not you exactly. That's exactly what it was. And so Mm -hmm. um, I had, um, uh, I went on a date with an older guy down there and we went out once and I only went out with him once because um, we were talking. And as we were talking, he just asked me, he was like, have you been sexually abused before? And when he said that, it when I tell you it felt like he had slapped me, even though he hadn't touched mm-hmm. me. I was just so shocked. Like, why would you say that? And he was like, Well, it's because when I go to touch you, you move. But if you touch me, you're okay. You you touch me like you know you how you're laughing and you're joking, and you know you how you right. want to touch a person like you know you're kidding right. or whatever. He said when. When when you touch me, you're okay with it. But if I try to, like, you know, extend my hand to touch you, you move. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I didn't even think about that. But I I was so thrown off by that. Like, you can just Mm -hmm. see this on me. Like, if people see me and do they know, you know, you just kind of feel exposed. And I didn't Mm -hmm. like that feeling. So after that, when he tried to call me, I just wouldn't talk to him more. I just stopped talking to him cold turkey. I just mm-hmm. felt like I felt exposed. I felt mm-hmm. ashamed by being exposed and I didn't like that feeling. And so I just felt like, yeah, like I'll never talk to him again. And it wasn't that I was so much into him anyway, but it was just him saying that was just like the icing on the cake. Like, mm-mm. I can't, <laughs> I can't ever talk to him again, but it's, it's a definitely a process because like I said, you have moments where you feel shame and you feel right. like it's a secret and yeah. you don't want people to know. Mm-hmm. And um now I'm at the place where I no longer feel shame. Um I am not a victim, you know, I am a survivor. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a teen reading it. It didn't, you know, I was reading it. I knew it was something that I needed to take with me on my journey. So I packed it away. But I didn't feel like I could own that statement. I felt like the statement owned me. And now Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm really walking in the power of that, that I am a survivor. I have survived and this does not weaken me. It doesn't lessen me. If anything, it it makes me stronger. Yes, and it doesn't. I define Mm -hmm. it. It can define me. Every time I pick up a pen and some paper and begin to write, I own it. I control it. Each time I speak truth to power, I own it. It doesn't own me. And so I'm emboldened. I feel more liberated, more empowered. It gives me more resiliency, more tenacity to do something even more daring the next time. And so mm. I'm not I, I'm now redefining my own purpose and I'm not allowing the things of my past to be able to control me.
0: So beautifully and eloquently spoken, you know, Chanel. I mean it really resonates, you know, deeply, you know, my my own story. Um I could probably spend all day talking about that as well with you um as a survivor. But it really you know, hearing your truths and hearing you, you know, just speak with authority about not being defined by the experiences, you know, it gives others, particularly women, permission to, you know, tell their own truths. Yes. You know. And that's why I'm just I'm just so thrilled to have you doing this in in the form of this beautifully written book, uh, devotional book, because We need, we just need more examples of that. Um, We need more women that are willing to share and boldly share their journeys in in terms of the brokenness, but in terms of how you overcame, you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, I mean, when you talk about surviving, I mean, not only did you survive the trauma and the abuse, but, you know, this incredible, almost theme of grief and loss. I mean, your your journey was really fraught with a lot of grief and loss. Talk to me a little bit more about that.
1: My father used to always say to me, Chanel, give me my flowers while I'm alive. That's why I can appreciate them and smell them. And at mm-hmm. first, it didn't make sense to me because I was taking it literally. Um, Because my father is a very manly man. So I'm thinking, like, does he want me to buy him flowers? Like, is that what he wants me to do? Am I supposed to try to get him flowers? And the more he said it, um, and the older I got, it began to dawn on me a little bit more what he was talking about. My father died when I was 13 years old. And, you know... I'm a very expressive person. If I love someone, I'm going to say, I love you. If I don't care for you, I'm not going to fake it. (laughs) I don't care for you either. You don't know that too. (laughs) And I said, and so losing him at 13, my um, grandfather died the following year. My uncle died the next year. It taught me that life is precious. It taught me Mm -hmm. that I only have this moment right now, and so whatever I have, I have to give it in this moment if I feel this way, because I don't know if I'll get a next, and I'm so thankful for that, and so if I love a person, I say it, and I say it often, because I don't know when my last time will be that I can say it. Uh, My older brother, Henry, uh, he died unexpectedly just out of the blue. None of us were just like, you know, I just talked to him on that Wednesday and I was impressed to call him. I'm like, I was at work and I said, we just had a very good conversation and, you know, I was telling him how much I love him and how much, you know, I looked up to him and aspired to be like him. And he hated Mm -hmm. me saying anything like that, but I told him, (laughs) you know, and we were planning, you know, for me to come down, you know, you know, later on in the year, but we just didn't have that. You know, with Wednesday happening by Sunday, he was gone, and it just taught me the urgency of now. You know, of doing mm-hmm. things now. That time and he was, was
2: still wrong. young. Mm-hmm. He was still young.
1: Very young, very young. Uh, and sometimes, even now, when I think about it, it just seems so unreal. You know that mm-hmm. he's gone, mm-hmm. and it's been well over. I'm gonna say my son is 14, so it's been well over uh, 15, no, 16 years. Just that fast. Yeah. 16 yeah. years just goes by yeah. so fast. Um Died at 41, and just very young.
0: Yeah. I remember singing in his wedding, and mm-hmm. he was in ours.
1: Yeah. Mhm. I'm telling you, it's just it's crazy. I mean, he was a person who was really into health. Um, conscious, you know what I mean? And I just never expect, you know, people to go, but they just do. Um, And I mean, even my mother, it's a shame, but my mother was healthier than me. We (laughs) could joke about that because, you know, I mean, she could out walk me out, you know, I mean, the the woman was bad. I mean, she really was Mm -hmm. traveling, you know, for her past and she had everything but she did for her doctorate, everything but, but her but her dissertation. And oh, wow. um and was doing it well on the dean's list. I'm telling you, the one bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, she had just came back from Vietnam and I wanna say that week that she came home just was sick, you know, just complaining of a headache. And then, like I said, with the the following week, she had that stroke. I'm sorry.
0: What was she doing? What was she doing in Vietnam?
1: She was an avid traveler. She, I mean, she's been to seven continents. She was just everywhere. She just, okay. I mean, she's been to Ghana several times. She's been to Korea. She's mm-hmm. been to Japan. She's been to London. She's been to Turkey. Okay. I mean, the woman was just, that's just what she, what she used to do. Okay. I, did, I
0: wasn't aware that she was a, a, a world traveler.
1: Yes, she was. Um, she studied Africology. Um, she really had a plight, had a uh, love or wanted to be able to bring attention to the plight of um, people in um Africa, as well as um, Africans in America, Mm -hmm. and just really loved her people. um, And, you know, really bore a burden for building up, especially in the um, uh, country of Ghana. So, like I said, it's Mm -hmm. just, that's just how she was um, very giving, very compassionate, very loving woman, um, very godly woman. And just, you know, here one day, Literally, you know, even after she had a stroke, we were thinking that it was just going to be rehab. And when mm-hmm. I say things changed within a matter of hours to minutes, it just literally happened that fast. And before I knew it, by the end of the week, you know, we were making decisions to be able to donate, you know, her organs so that she would be able to um, help someone else who was struggling to live. And it just happens so suddenly. And I think there have been so many different touches with death. You know, I know how it feels to lose a father and a mother. I know how it feels to lose a brother. You know, of course, grandparents and cousins and all those things, um, friends. But the loss of the child, I want to yes. say, is like, it's, it's something, I mean, it's unnatural. You know, parents mm. are not supposed to bury their children. You're just not. It's just something about, tell me about your daughter.
0: You said what? And I said, tell me more about your daughter.
1: Ah, uh, when I say this mm-hmm. girl, Tanaya, is for such an amazing being, the definition of strength of a fighter. You know, sometimes you can try to count a person out, but you know, as a child, I used to laugh and I would say, I'm going to call her my habitual line crosser because mm. if you draw a line in the sand, she was going to come over that line and had some stubborn qualities, which she got honest from her mama and her grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she needed all of that to be able to take on the fight that she was going to have, but to be able just to fight to live. You know, and have one of the most beautiful smiles, the capacity and the ability to smile. Sometimes um, you think when you deal with adversity and you're constantly being told no to things or you're having struggles or the day isn't going um, the way that you want it to. I mean, you can just imagine if you're living your life, doing all the things that you want to do and the next day you can't do any of these things. You know, you no longer can walk. Simple things. You can no longer talk. Um, You can no longer get up and run and play. She loved to dance and she loved to laugh. And all of those things that she used to do, she was an avid reader. She was very good with math. She loved to sing. And she was all about helping people. And you would think if you experience all of those things, if you had the ability to smile, would you smile and yeah. she smiled when the doctors told me like when they were first giving me, she had a two anoxic brain injuries um days within each other, the first anoxic injury, God bless, and she was able to. Talk and walk and do all the things. You couldn't tell anything. What
0: was what was that stemming? What was that stemming from?
1: They were unable to determine. It was just like they couldn't explain it. There was no medical definition or reason they could give to me why it happened. But it was um, anoxic brain injury that damaged her basal ganglia. Okay. So um, those two incidents, the mind or the body records it as one long event because I was wow. troubled by the, the fact that she did it the first time okay so it the second time why um but they said that the the mind is going to record that as one long event w- one long instance of not having any oxygen and mm-hmm. so um for they told me that she would just be mostly like um in a vegetative state that all she would do was simply lay there that um If she smiled, it would be an involuntary uh, reflex Um, that the person that I knew, the being that I had known up until that, you know, 11th year mark was gone, you know, and that I had to think about quality of life. And Mm -hmm. um, I just refused to believe it. I stuck on my faith. I challenged God. I begged God. People from all over just prayed and Mm -hmm. petitioned God's throne on her behalf. And I will forever be grateful for my church family and family and all those who just took her before God in prayer. And God answered, you know, my prayers, maybe not to the degree that I wanted, but he did exceedingly and abundantly above that I could ask, think, hope for, Mm -hmm. even imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, The doctors at a point had to say, you know what? I think she can hear and she understand what, what's going on. Um, you call her name. She look up. She know you talking to her, kept her personality. I'm a talker. So I've been talking right. honestly. And sometimes I would talk to her and she would close her eyes. And I would think like, oh, okay, she's asleep. You talk longer. You can see her smiling. You know, she's smirking. You know, you can tell she's playing sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I realized the first time that I realized that she was playing sleep. I mean, I was so tickled by that. You know, I'm like, OK, right. all right. OK, that means you want me to shut up. I got you. I'm not going to shut up, but I got what you're saying. You know, um, and she could laugh. You couldn't hear it. But you could see but you could, that she was laughing. Um, follow, yeah. you know, small commands, you know just an amazing uh, being so much life so much love and she always kept a smile on her face you know and mm. if she could smile just with everything that she was going through that she was going through then how dare you not smile you know what I'm saying because right. are you experience right. problems to this degree no <laughs> you're not So it would encourage me to be like, okay, this is what we're doing today. Let's do it tonight. So we got this. And she was just an amazing person. And so losing her has just been uh, a whirlwind.
0: Yeah. And that, that she she passed, um, was it, it's been, has it been over a year?
1: Yeah. It'll be two years on April 13th.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what's the what's the last two years, almost two years been like since she passed?
1: They have been hell, Shaylen. That's what they've been. They have mm-hmm. really been hell. I've um I had so many dark um, moments as a child in my adolescent years. I had a really fierce struggle with suicidal thoughts, you know, and mm-hmm. Uh, even attempts, times I would take, you know, pills and different things. It just felt like it would, life would be so much better if I wasn't here. And what am I here for? And, you know, I don't feel like it's important to anything. I just want to just disappear. And the reason why I believe God gave me six kids is he did that to help me for myself, because he knew that if I had these children, I couldn't allow myself to slump back into that uh, way of thinking. And when she passed, you know, um, at first it was shock. And it was shock because I'm expecting, you know, we're praying and God changed the situation around. And when it just became apparent that God was not answering this particular prayer according to what we were praying for in the way that we were wanting it answered and that she was dead, you know, it was just unreal. You're, you're in shock. And, you know, as days are going on and I'm sorry, one second as days are going on and you're realizing that yeah. you're just not going to see this person again. It's a hard, it really, oh it
2: really
1: is. It really yeah. is. And so my life had revolved around everything that had to do with her her treatments, everything. And then it's all gone. So I got into a very dark space. And I was really thinking like I just don't even know if I can be here anymore.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I was thinking, like, I just don't know if I can do this. And like, would my kids be better off if I was just gone? And as I was thinking and getting ready to allow myself to just slip back into a place, my daughter Tati was like, Mama, we need you. You know, we need you, too. And yeah. and I hadn't even spoken anything. I hadn't said anything. I was just crying. And when she said it, something in me just snapped, you know, and it's like, okay, I got to get it together. I got to pull it together. I still have kids mm-hmm. that need me. Right. And I have to focus on them. So I just did what I know to do, which is tuck pain away, stuff it into a place, put it in a box. And try to come back and deal with it at a later time. And so it's just these last two years have just been an experience. Um, What I can say is that I am very grateful to my church family. Um, God has given me some amazing people who just have a burden for people and who pray for people.
2: Because, Mm -hmm.
1: you know, if it had not been for their prayers, I just honestly can't say where I would be right now. And sometimes you can hear that and it can sound so cliche, but I'm I'm right, literally right. like, I literally don't know where I would be if someone was not planned for me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Praise God for that. Uh, your church family. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, shout out, you have an amazing group of friends, sister yes, friends.
1: I do. I do. I do. I love them. Like God gives you who you need um, to make it along your journey. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're just amazing, beautiful people. That's it. They call you, check up on you, see what's going on. You know, everybody, Mm -hmm. uh, Heather and and Nicole and Selena Mm -hmm. and everybody, like I said, just very intentional about loving on you, about being there for you. Just trying to make sure that you're okay. And sometimes, you know, You don't have the words, but you don't always need words. Sometimes a person just needs to see that you're there. And that do so much for a person who is in that space. And like I said, honestly, I had moments where I was bitter. Um, Times Mm -hmm. when I, especially when you see their peers growing up and doing the things that you really wanted for your child. And you realize right. that you're not going to have those moments, actually, while writing when I was writing a chapter on Tanaya, I was looking at it, and at first, I was thinking like I was getting in my feelings like, you know, I don't even have my baby right now I should be I should be with my daughter right, right now. we should be doing this, we should right. be doing that, you know, right. and um, I had to turn and look at it from a different perspective. Because God had extended to me so much. You know, Tanaya was born 28, week premature baby, two pounds, four ounces, smallest shot I've ever seen in my life. You know, Mm. you can literally fit her in the palm of your hand. And um, through all of the, you know, you know, prognosis of what life was going to be like for her, God could have not allowed her to live past that, but he did. Yeah. extended time to me when she got sick with RSV. She could have been taken then. But no, again, God made death wait and he gave me more time. So I mm-hmm. had to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to know this amazing, beautiful being. I am not say it's like a, a privilege to have been her mother. It really is. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful because God showed me so much favor by gifting me these six beautiful children. Without them, because I don't even know what my purpose in life would be. Those amazing spaces that God has given to me. So it really helped me. Writing really gave me a different perspective because I had to weigh the good against the bad. And when I looked at it that way, then I had to say, God has still been good to me. God has still been faithful. He hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. He gave me all of these things when those things should not have been given to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, I said I wasn't going (laughs) to (laughs) cry. So much for that, so much for that. Wow. Wow. You, you spoke a word. It's it's you know anyone that's you know a parent or a mother or even if you're not you you can certainly empathize and just uh, your journey just resonates deeply. It resonates deeply, and I just you know I I'm thankful that I'm able to hold space with you in this moment. That's um, a tough journey. It's a tough journey.
2: Yeah.
0: So Chanel, um, talk to me about love, you know, you have, uh, you talk in the book about, you know, getting married at 22 and really kind of having this amazing love story and until it, you know, kind of took a turn, Mm. what was that like for you?
1: Um, I want to say when I think about my first husband, it is really, it really really reminds me about God's love for me. Um, Just Mm -hmm. someone who loves you, despite your good, your bad, and your ugly. We were that annoying couple that could get on people's nerves. I mean, like we literally in the beginning were all over each other, holding hands, mushy goosy. I love you. you, know, I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, um, you know, Tina and I used to talk about it's like I can go to the store with y'all because y'all gonna be doing all that in the stores and I just don't even wanna go. It's just like I don't even want to do anything with y'all. You know, but at the same time people look up looked up to us and they um you know wished us well, and just an amazing um man uh amazing father,' amazing grandfather, and like I said, in the beginning, things were amazing um we started off very early with um a child, my son, Saquon. uh he was born three days before we got married, and which is not how the story's supposed to go, but that's how it went <laughs> so
2: mm-hmm. um. Mm-hmm
1: we uh, love each other. We, you know, we worked to try to build up my family. Um, The following year, we ended up, I ended up giving birth to our second child, which is Tatiana, my oldest daughter. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes life just gets in the way. And it was at a time where I was really kind of coming out of my self-esteem issues and sometimes when life gets in the way, sometimes your marital life, especially like, you know, the intimacy may not be at the level that you want it. And, you know, sometimes right. you're watching TV and everything, and it's always the woman who's like, oh, no, honey, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, not tonight. Or, oh, honey, I got a headache. You know, and that's how, it's, in my mind, that's how it's supposed to go. You know, I'm supposed to say,
2: mm-hmm.
1: oh, honey, not tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. And so, because of his long work hours, and then, like I said, we have like a nine-year age difference, you know. And so, just our mean
2: he's nine years older. He's
1: older. He's working crazy hours, you know. At that time, I'm not really wrapping around all of those things either. I'm just feeling like, hey, like what's going on here, man? Like, you know, like, do you want me? So it started making me have self-esteem issues Mm -hmm. and it was bothering me you know to a a large degree sometimes when you um are encountering um sexual abuse it can turn you off from sex or it can Mm -hmm. heighten your sex drive um right and at that time
2: yeah Yeah. at
1: that time it had heightened my sex drive and I'm like I'm young too though you know so I'm, I'm early 20s uh so I felt very rejected and I was beginning to feel unpretty because even though you can have other men looking at you mm-hmm. it doesn't make a difference if your eyes are on this man and wanting this man and yeah. wanting this man this
2: and wanting is the man you love right yeah.
1: then everything else doesn't matter you know what I mean and so
2: right.
1: it really began to like Wreak havoc on me. And mm-hmm. I had decided that I had st- was going to start talking to him about it, which was a very humbling act for me. When I tried to open up to explain to him how I was feeling about it, he really couldn't understand where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. I was being as open and as vulnerable as I could. And I felt as naked with him as I did with my grandmother in her living room with no clothes on. Because sometimes when you are exposing yourself and you're stripping yourself down to just the barest essentials until there's nothing left, you know, you don't know if you're going to be rejected, you don't know if you're going to be accepted, you don't know if you're going to be admired or if you're going to be shunned. And so it's a very difficult position to put yourself in when you don't feel like you have control and as a person who has dealt with abuse I really grapple for control and I don't like putting myself in situations where I don't feel like I'm in control but he really couldn't understand where I was and what I was really expressing to him and you know Mm. Like I said, and just, again, dealing with abuse, it can just really give you a warped view on sex and mm-hmm. desire and all these various things. And so because right. of that, I started building up walls in our marriage because I felt like it's, this is hurting me, and I'm telling you that this is hurting me, and nothing is changing about this.
0: Right, and so right. What would you have wanted in a, in an ideal world? What would you have wanted him to to do or say in that moment?
1: I I wanted him to accept what I was saying and give mm-hmm. me the scenario that I see on TV. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're constantly on me and I'm saying, no, honey, not tonight. You know, <laughs> let me be the one to say, no, honey, not tonight. Or I got hey, it. Right. It's been a long day. You know what I mean? And so because that wasn't the scenario that I was dealing with, it just made me have issues. And so then I began to build up walls. And then what ended up happening over time, I just started kind of drawing with, you know, um, drawing away from him as a way to kind of really Mm -hmm. protect myself. And then, um, you know, just as life will have it, you know, my first you know, came into town and we had this big talk on the phone with a bunch of us. Cause we have, a, a, you know, a ton of mutual friends. Then we were all on the phone and we're all talking and we're all reminiscing and we're all talking about getting, you know, uh, connecting and and, and hooking up together. And, and um, this was
0: your, this was your first, you said your first love. Yeah,
1: This is my first love. And okay. so I, um, told my husband at the time about it and I told him that he would be there and I asked if he would have a problem if I went and I tried to be as honest with him because I wanted him to be honest with me if something like that would have happened and he told me like okay you know it's fine you can go I don't have a problem with it and which is different because I'm not really a person that asks people can I do something (laughs) right right. I asked him like is it okay and he was like yes it's cool and Sometimes he, when we were dating, I was really at my lowest, you know, as far as, you know, my self esteem. And I just mm-hmm. sometimes you feel like, you know, you want to look at me now kind of situation.
0: And oh, yeah. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think most of the people that go back yeah. to reunion. Yeah, I'm like,
1: you know, <laughs> you got to check in all this now. You know, it was this way then, but right. it's this way now. You know,
0: yeah, I want you to see me. I want you to see me in the come up. OK, <laughs>
1: like, catch all this. You didn't miss all this. He the ship did in pass. Now you didn't miss it. That's what you say to yourself. And so, right. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I put so much energy and effort into, you know, how I was going to look and everything else. And it was supposed to be this big meetup up. Everybody. Turned out to be a car ride it was four of us, you know it was him, his best friend, and me and one of my girlfriends who used to be like we used to be super tight back in the day and um mm-hmm. the four of us, and we just kind of talked and we just reminisced and the two of us sat in the back seat, and the um his best friend and my former best friend they they sat in the front, and you know, as we just continued to talk, you know he's you know, we're sitting, we're we're kind of close because we're in, you know, we're sitting in the back of the car. You feel those little feelings, you know, those. you know, Have you ever seen a person mm-hmm. and you get butterflies? <laughs> yeah, that's what butterflies.
0: Yeah, <laughs> with kind of the newness, the newness of a relationship. Yeah, yeah. You feel
1: those butterflies, yeah, yeah. like those little feelings, you know. And it's it's
0: it's, it's, it's called dopamine and serotonin. Uh, in that brain.
1: Those dopamine and serotonin was having their way because I was feeling all these types of feelings. And then, you know, as we continued talking and laughing and joking, you know, we eventually began to hold hands and, you know, we're all talking and we're laughing and we're like, okay, we're going to do this again, you know? And then, but this time when we met up, I didn't tell my husband, I didn't ask him. I didn't say anything. I'm just like, okay, and in between those, in between that time, you know, so now he and I have each other's, now we've exchanged numbers. And now back mm-hmm. then, you know, we're on AOL and we're messaging back and forth. Now this is becoming a daily thing. We're texting, mm-hmm. you know, day in, day out, calls here, calls there. You know, we're getting back familiar. We're going, you know, gradually moving from, you know, hey, how you doing? How was your day? Or this and that, so you know what, uh, I still miss you, I still love you. You know. Mm. And so, so
0: during that time was your husband was he sensing, you know, perhaps your aloofness or kind of you being more withdrawn?
1: No, I don't think has he, he changed
0: his, his has he changed any behaviors? Is he, you know, coming towards you? No anymore? No,
1: we're just we're just I mean, we at by this point we're two children strong, you know. He has his day mapped out. He starts early in the morning. He gets done late at night. No, he just, sorry. He just switched his things. So he was working two jobs at the time. So he's getting off one job, running to the next one. You know, we're barely missing each other. You know, we're coming in, okay. we're seeing each other here when it's time to sleep. Cause he's working third shift at the one job. So he's not with me generally when I'm sleeping, he's coming in and then, sleeping in the daytime and then in the second shift going to the other job and then third shift heading someplace else and then coming back here because he had just
0: okay so he's got a lot going on. Mm -hmm.
1: and then i'm getting up in the morning i'm with the kids and i'm running here you know what i'm saying so we're just kind of missing each other we're coming in we're passing we're talking you know Mm -hmm. we're still you know we're still talking and there's like no animosity but we're not connecting and so um we're just kind of moving that way as we're just progressing, you know, I decide the second time, okay, well, I'm going to go see him. I'm not going to ask anything. I'm just going to go see him. And so I do the, it's still the the four of us. And so we we, everything is fine in that particular second time that we meet up because it's the four, it's the four of us. And
0: so is your, is your, is your girlfriend that's within this foursome has she said to you anything by this point of, you know, what's going on? Like, what, where is this going?
1: No, you know what? She's just like, okay. But see, we hadn't done anything at that point yet. So, mm-hmm. so initially okay. she's like, so, and we, at the time, at the time I really wasn't too forthcoming that we were having private conversations. Okay. Um, okay. Then I finally say, okay, after our second time that we meet up, when he when um they actually came over to her house that time. When he left, we ended up talking. And she's like, Oh, okay. I'm like, Well, no, you know, we're just talking. It's you know, and she just, you know, sometimes how like, your girl can get you decide, out like mm mm-hmm. you know, like, right, no, like right, it's not right. you know, it's not like that. You know, it's not like that. And we continue <laughs> talking.
2: <laughs> right, right.
1: Continue talking, continue talking, and then now we're to the point where okay, we're just gonna see each other this one time by ourselves
0: we're just gonna mm-hmm. we're
1: gonna laugh, we're gonna watch movies, we're gonna do this we're gonna chill, you know, and that's in your mind what you're telling yourself that's all we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna do this, and then we're gonna have to leave, and everything's gonna be fine, nobody's gonna but then was there,
0: there a part about. of you was there was there a part of you that was thinking? that's not all that's going to happen
1: no I was really thinking I think because sometimes I think sometimes you, you want to think yourself. that this is going to ha- that's all that's going to happen otherwise yeah. you say that more than this is going to happen then I, then how can I go because more than this is gonna happen. right you know what I mean right and so you know you re- you rationalize it well I was the yeah, times, you know and that's
0: you're in, de- you're in denial mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: you de- definitely so and just like I said you just kind of you know telling yourself well it was okay these two times and nothing happened so if I do this right. this time then you know everything should still be fine here too and I couldn't yeah. have been further from the truth <laughs> we yeah. I went over to uh the um apartment where he was and you know we're talking we're laughing we're joking we're watching movies you know it's quote unquote like old times you know and mm-hmm. um you know just feeling wanted and feeling desired things that I was really needing from my husband you know what I'm saying that I mm-hmm. was not getting You know, it was just like, you know, (laughs) uh, like a moth to a flame, or you know, Mm -hmm. you know, water and electricity. You think water and electricity don't go together, so you put them things together. Something bad gonna happen, but it's gonna be something kinetic, you know, once you put them two things together. And so that's exactly what it was, you know. And so when it happened you know, you know, you know better, you know, your mind is going like, you know, i don't got no business doing this. I have no business mm-hmm. being here. This is not how I was raised. This is not what was instilled, but it's still occurring. You know what I'm saying? Right. And right. It, it becomes a, a point where that part just turns off or turns down low enough, you know, mm-hmm. and you're just reacting in that moment and you're just dealing with things in that moment. You're not thinking about what's gonna happen five minutes from now or ten minutes from now or how these are, right. are going
0: to the bigger Yes. I want yeah, to follow you. You reason. know,
1: you're not just gonna leave yeah. from this incident and everything is just gonna be fine. No, you're gonna carry this incident with you, you know, and it's going to have some ramifications that are gonna be long lasting. After it was over you know I'm like yeah I can't ever see him again but it's too late you know you know so it after you perform a sexual act with somebody and it's adultery and then it is it was adultery mm-hmm. back then it's still adultery right now and I had a heavy sense of guilt
2: mm-hmm. so
1: you know I told you know those who were closest to me and they're like girl how did you, I like, I know I feel horrible. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I gotta tell my husband. They like, no, you don't do it. Don't you do it. I'm like, I gotta tell him I can't live like this. I felt like, when I tell you, it felt like a noose was around my neck and even though mm-hmm. I didn't, we didn't have intercourse, you know, we did too much. Mm-hmm. And right. I'm like I gotta tell him, you know I gotta I gotta I gotta tell my husband. They like. Mm-mm.
0: And I can imagine you being such a, you know, inherently a truth teller. It was just kind of driving you and, and to just kind of want to get this monkey off it, your back. It was, and when to... I tell
1: you it was eating me alive, it it really was. I mm-hmm. I, I didn't even hold. It, I don't even think it was a good month. If if it was a month it wasn't too much over. I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. You know, even though people mm-hmm. were saying, don't tell him you're going to ruin your marriage. You're going to throw your marriage away, pray about it, give it to the Lord, put it at the altar and leave it there. I'm like, I got to tell them I, y'all, how can God forgive me if I don't even tell them what I did wrong. I got to tell them something. I got to make amends. I got to do, I can't just walk around with this, but I, you know how they say, I'm uh <laughs> color purple. Nothing but God, you better not tell God because not telling nobody but God because it's a kill your mama. You know, you guys, right? I'm like, wait a minute, I got to say something. And so it had just began eating me up. And mm-hmm. it finally just, I couldn't take it anymore. And he was at work, working his third shift. And I called him on his cell phone. He's like, hello. And I'm like, you know, it's something I got to tell you. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, something I gotta tell you. It's something I gotta tell you. And he's like, something wrong with the kids? And he's trying to figure out, trying to, you know. I'm like, no, no, it's not that. Just hold on. Don't say nothing. Let me just give me a second. And you know, I can just, I just brace up. I just hold it in. I just shoot it all out. You know, hey, I did it. This is all I did. And then I tell him everything. And it's quiet. It's nothing. Yeah, like I can't even hear him breathing. And I have to look at the phone to see if he's still on it. I see the time still moving. So I know he's still on the phone, you Mm -hmm. know. So I start calling his name and then he's like, Chanel, you called me at work to tell me this. And he politely hung up on me. I,
0: yeah, when I re- when I read that, I was <laughs> that was that was a that was a moment.
1: Yeah, uh, when he came home that next day, I mean it was horrible. I mean we went back and forth. I'm having to explain everything to him. I'm trying to apologize, and I'm you know I'm weeping before the porch and the altar at this point. I'm trying, you know, I'm
2: mm-hmm. telling him
1: how I feel and trying to explain you know why things happened the way that they did you know and you know he wasn't feeling it <laughs> he wasn't feeling it at all and mm-hmm. um, but I got it off my chest you know and I didn't mm-hmm. feel like we could have a real marriage if I was lying and okay. I needed to tell him I felt like if he felt like he wanted to divorce or he wanted to leave me, he should have that option to be able to do right. so. You know what I mean? Right. Versus me trying to paint a picture that wasn't true. I also right. wanted to get it off because I wanted us to reconnect and figure out where we are. You know what I'm saying? And why we aren't right. clicking the way we should be clicking. And, right.
0: It um, sounds like he really wanted to start fresh.
1: Yeah. And I felt like we couldn't really have a fresh start until I said it. So I felt like I needed to say, and so I did. And like I said, it just we really went through a really tough storm behind it. I think it's a lot for a man to accept his wife's infidelity. You know, I think women as much. It's not easy, but women process that thing a little differently um Yeah,
0: and I was say
1: particularly a black man. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> and so you know, um so we really kind of had to like weather that storm. And I mean, we had some really rough patches. After that, you know, he began to where well, where I could see that he was starting, you know, talking to other people. And then because you know, I believe in, you reap what you sow. I'm like, well, this is the truth. I'm supposed to reap what I sowed and it's always worse than what you deal it out. So for a while I saw things, but I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. I was just quiet because I felt like, you know, it was my fault. If I hadn't done this, then this wouldn't have happened. And this is where I'm at because of what I did. Mm-hmm. And then you know I let it continue for a while until I felt like, hey, now look, we even now, <laughs> okay? I did mm-hmm. one time, and that's it. So we we way even now, and so mm-hmm. I, it came out, you know, that you know there were some things going on before that that I didn't even know anything about. And when I found out that I'm like, end up in the in hell, you was dragging me through it. You serious? Like, you all oh, no. Nah, right, uh-uh. right, so right. We had right. some more knockouts after that. But I want to say all in all, I think, you know, like I said, an amazing man. That man has loved me through my highs, through my lows. One thing that I can say is that I have never really felt judged by him and that man knows my good my bad and all my ugly and doesn't uh never has never called me out my name has never uh you know you know i've gained as he shouldn't shouldn't. you hear me sometimes he definitely shouldn't but i'm just saying i've given he's had to deal with a lot with me I mean, later on in the book I talk about the fact that you know that I had a baby with somebody else. You know, he had he he dealt with a lot Mm -hmm. with me. So to this day, we are a support system for each other, constantly there for me and for all of my children. I have three children by him and I have three children by my second husband. And when I say just an amazing being, God has really blessed me. Like I said, we talk and we connect and he's there for me and I will always be there for him. As long as I have breath in my body, I will be just, you mm-hmm. know, we're not in an intimate space, but just love each other, you know, and, uh, and I always will.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Because um, I know that you, you went into a second marriage and there were some unfortunate things that you dealt with in that relationship. How do you feel that, you know, just the things that you went through in your first marriage, what was the biggest lesson for you, number one? And and number two, how did kind of coming through that experience inform kind of what you were willing to deal with versus not in the second marriage?
1: Mm, Let's see. My first marriage, I learned that life has seasons and mm-hmm. um, seasons change. You have to be able to weather the season and realize that what you're feeling is temporary. This is not going to be forever. You know, if I could look mm-hmm. back and tell my younger self, I would have taught my younger self, Chanel... This is only a season. This is going to pass, Mm. you know. And Mm. you just have to be able to weather this storm and get to your next season.
2: Mm. Sometimes you
1: just make things like give them, make them immortal and make them bigger, and they're to you they're going to last for life. But really, it's just this moment, and it's temporary. And Mm. this moment can change, and you just have to continue to get ask God to give you the grace and the patience, and the endurance to be able to hold on during this season. And it's going to change. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, That's a big one. That's a a huge one. That's a huge, huge lesson. Yeah,
1: I've had to learn that. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. my second marriage, which I do want to say, my second husband is an amazing person as well. He really had to deal with a lot. Um, It is not easy you know, being in a blended family, you know, and parenting, you know, co-parenting with, um, you know, your spouse's children from a previous marriage and, you know, all of the health challenges that Tanaya faced, my own changing health, just a lot of different things that was really kind of thrown at him as well. He we're at the point now where we're in a very good space and I appreciate the fact that he's been an amazing um, father to the three, three children that we do have. And he was an amazing Mm -hmm. stepfather uh, to my older children. Thing Mm -hmm. that I've learned about my tolerance level is that I can't even say learned. I'm saying that I'm learning is that Mm -hmm. I know who I am, and I know what I am, and I know whose I am, and Mm -hmm. um, I'm learning that just with relationships, period, that I'm looking for things to be reciprocal. Mm -hmm. If I extend trust to you, then I want trust extended to me. If I show you love and compassion and empathy, then I want the same thing in return. And everything Mm -hmm. is not going to be 50-50. Some things are 80-20, but in some level, you have to bring an 80 to the table, too. And I can bring a 20. Mm -hmm. You know, we just can't always expect me to bring the 80. Some things could be 50-50. Some things would be 40-60. But I need us to be meeting Mm -hmm. someplace in the middle. And... I know that I am a handful. Anybody, anybody who deals with me has got to be able to handle a handful, you know, and you have to be confident in who you are and what you are and where you're going. And otherwise, we're not going to, we're not going to mesh well. You definitely have to be somebody, a man of faith, because only God, only God will see you through. (laughs) So. Yeah. I have like, you know, I have some good qualities, but I got some, 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 some rough qualities too. You know, if you rub. We all rub do.
0: We right. all do.
1: It depends on how you treat me. You treat me nice, nice things happen. If you rub me wrong, I gotta pray, you got to pray <laughs> for me on that part because then that rough part will come out. But, you know, I'm just growing and I'm learning and I'm learning that when I see things that are signs for me, that this is not what's for me that i Mm -hmm. turn around and um you know not look back and sometimes it's not that a person is you know good or bad it's just sometimes people aren't good together because they do certain things when they are together and that's what i'm learning too you know and it's you know not anybody's fault it's just sometimes that's just the way things are
0: yeah yeah and it's 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 an ongoing journey. It is it's an ongoing journey. And I can tell you are a lifelong learner.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: So in terms of just like your health kind of, you know, what's what's the prognosis? How are you handling um your health challenges?
1: Just have, keeping a positive um mindset is first and foremost important. Um I have um h h t and that's the hereditary hemoogenic telangiectasia that helped to mm-hmm. help me develop cirrhosis um of the liver and um also led to me having some complications with um heart disease so really trying to be intentional about my health choices about being informed having seeing my various doctors keeping up with them, trying to make certain that I stay in in their uh, program and network of, of different things that they have you to try, um, knowing, mm-hmm. being informed about medications and things that you want to try or things that you don't want to. Um, also knowing that I am a part of my own healthcare team and we don't make any decisions that I don't feel comfortable with. Absolutely. I always, you know, make certain that I read up on everything and I'm I'm willing to challenge and I'm going to because only only I can advocate for me. So, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: Do you feel like being kind of an advocate for, you know, other family members as well as your child has in some ways empowered you to be more of an advocate yes. for self?
1: Yes. You know, when I was dealing with Tania's various um, health issues when the doctors were making their rounds and they come out, do their morning report, I go out there with them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm part of this team too. You know what I mean? Cause I read the pamphlet right. when I came in, you are part of your healthcare. Oh, okay. I just need to hear that. Okay. I read it. Okay. So yes. I know what my rights are. And so I go out there when they're having their rounds, I provide my um, discussion. I challenge things if I feel like it's not appropriate. I question it. If I, you know, think that it doesn't need to um, happen. I won't accept any type of treatment or any type of medication. You know, I try to stay well informed in anything that I thought was going on or relative to her conditions. And if there was something I thought that she needed, I made I made my voice heard. You know, and they really respected me. They would always say, like, "Are you in the medical field?" <laughs> Are you, are you, this, uh, I'm, I'm a mom, you know, and I was, you know, I did some CNA. Work. A
0: well-informed mom who does her research. And I'm
1: telling you, that was the first thing I did when they gave Tanaya her diagnosis and they gave me like a bunch of teaching sheets and medications. Mm-hmm. I asked for everything. If it was a medication to change, let me get the teaching sheet on that. If there's some therapy, doing, let me get a teaching sheet on that. I looked it up. I researched. I just do everything I could, and so, you know, it's her chart. You know, let me see her chart. Let me look at this. And then they would say, well, we can show you this part of this part. We can. Well, what what all can we see? You know, just having her information, and then, um, just you know, memorizing everything. And so, it just it gave me confidence just to continue to continue to push because. I wanted her her one, I wanted her well. So I was going to do everything that I could do on my end. And so I knew that the word of God is life and that is spirit. Absolutely. And so, you know, I prayed over her. And um, mm-hmm. Sister Crockett from our church, she made this inspirational non vocal type. It was just an instrumental. And she, I continuously played that in the background. I would just read the word over to Tanaya, and I would speak to her, and I would talk to her. And you know, mm-hmm. they kept telling me she'll never be able to do. No, I didn't. I didn't receive any of that. I continue to speak the word to her. And Tanaya, this, you know, and Jesus said, you know, little girl, get up, you know. And I'm saying, tonight, He's telling you to get up, you know. And I, Continue reading, and every time that I would read, I would become more powerful when I would read it. And the nurses would come in, or the doctors would come in. I still be reading, you know, and I would be telling them, my guy's gonna be doing so and so. I I didn't just like have my faith to myself. No, I don't care what you're saying. So I'm, you know, I'm a person of faith, and I believe that God's gonna do this. And you know, how's He gonna do it? You know, if I don't speak it. So I was speaking, you know, well, she's going to be doing this yeah. and she's going to do yeah. that. And I would just speak it because there is life and it's death about, in your yeah. tongue. And so I would just speak it, everything as if she was going to be restored, as if everything was going to happen the way it was supposed to in my mind. And I just continue to hold mm. on to that. And you have to. You have to speak life over your situation. And I I want to say, really honestly, true. I don't do it all of that for myself as I did for her. I was much more vigilant for her, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think that's just the part, you know, being a mom, you give all you have, you leave it all out on the floor for your kids. And you just don't do the same thing for yourself to that degree as you do for your children. But advocating for someone else, I'm very, uh, I'm just a giver and I love people and just, I can do that. But, um, but yes, like I said, Mm -hmm. I've, I try to, I advocate for myself, but not as fiercely as I did for her.
0: How do you, I mean, just how do you stay mentally and emotionally strong? You know, you're you're dealing with just some of your your own challenges and, you know, and and still looking very vivacious and beautiful (laughs) and, 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 wait, and slaying, (laughs) I must say. So what are just some of your um what are your some of your tips for uh just coping and dealing with just life
1: uh, one thing i want to say i which i need to go back but I did see a therapist oh, good i at first I was doing everything on my own and I just got to a space where i Go into my doctor's appointments and they would ask me questions. A lot of times when they would ask me questions about my care, I would immediately Mm -hmm. say, Well, I can't do this or I can't do that because I have to take care of my daughter and I have to do this and I have to do that. So, those conversations initially, uh, when having them, you know, I would go back there and that was just a space where I would be saying normally, Well, I can't do this and I can't do that because of my daughter. And so it would make me become very emotional. And so my doctor was like, well, you know, do you think you want to try to take something? And so I was like, yeah. So he gave me some pills. I took them for about, like, I want to say maybe a week, a week and a half. I'm just not a pill person. And I couldn't... What were the pills? There was something for mood. Mood.
0: Kind of an antidepressant Mm or Mm -hmm. any anxiety.
1: And so what ended up happening was I started exercising Okay, and I was going with my children, uh, my older children, and it gave me those positive endorphins and-
0: Absolutely. And
1: it made me- Which pills.
0: is exercise is like an antidepressant yes! in and of itself. Yes, it
1: really mm-hmm. is. It gives you a natural high because I really wasn't, the. and I say, you know, pills may work for some people and everything, I guess, you know, depends on you. But I'm not really, I'm not Mm -hmm. an avid pill taker. It's hard for me to to stay consistent with anything like that. But Mm -hmm. exercise did so much for me. It really kept me motivated. It gave me, it it boosted my energy. My mood changed and it improved. It gave me something to look forward to, you know. It just made me be more in tune with myself and listening to my body. And so um, exercise did that for me. And then after that, like I said, had some friends. Actually, when I, I, the first therapist that I saw just for one initial consult, when you're getting on um, a transplant um, list, they have you see someone as part of their like reduction into this um, system. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, at first I had some very negative feelings about it probably because I felt like I was being forced uh, to see someone, you know, Mm -hmm. because it wasn't something I could choose to do. Like I had to do it in order to get on the list. And so, um, but while there, you know, I found some benefit. I saw her once and the opportunity to continue to see her was there. But I was just like, I don't know if I'm in a space to see anybody. I feel like I'm going to just take care of it on my own. And so I continued doing it on my own. Following year, I was actually talking to Heather, who's also a therapist. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. she was saying, well, Chanel, you know, you know, see it give me all the positives about seeing a therapist. And um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it. I'm gonna try it and I'm gonna see. Mm -hmm. And I ended up seeing someone, not for an extensive amount of time, it was, you know, but it was very helpful to me. And it's something that I said I'm going to continue to do. I'm going to talk with someone. It's just good to have someone to be able to help you to process things. A person that you can speak to Mm -hmm. that's going to, whatever you say, is confidential. They're there to kind of help you and help you to to guide you through these various stages in life. And so I had Mm -hmm. some very good uh, breakthroughs as far as just things that I had not realized about myself. Things that she was was able to instinctively just kind of pick out, pick out, pick out, pick out. Very on it. Pays very good Mm -hmm. attention to detail. I'm like, shoot, I had like a deep revelation Mm -hmm. coming out. (laughs) <laughs> coming out of there and so i'm like start making me think of things more profound and being on a philosophical level right? i mean reevaluating my life i'm like i gotta think about my life a little bit differently see it hurt yeah like, it was a positive yeah, experience awesome. i would really that's encourage awesome. people uh, to see a therapist there is no shame in seeing a therapist seeing a therapist no shame not a good christian or that you know you're crazy or anything like that it doesn't mean any of those things um it means that you're intentional about making sure that you are your best version of you and so do what you need to do whether that's medication whether that's exercise um like i said my faith helps um having people pray for me having goals
2: mm-hmm.
1: i did a vision board mm-hmm. last year and I made it up a tree and I had all these leaves to it and different things that I wanted to be able to bring into fruition. And um, I had God as my roots and my children, you know, as my, you know, my my bark or my, you know, the base of my tree. And then the leaves were everything that were produced off of that. And I want to say having a vision hmm Really helped to give me focus because for a while I was just kinda of drifting. You know, I became a a, a Facebook comedian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it wasn't funny, <laughs> I didn't want to do it. If it
2: if it wasn't some other Yeah. Yeah,
1: well you, well you are you 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 are
0: hilarious, yeah, I will give so you that.
1: The vision board really kinda of helped me hone things back in and not to take everything as a jokey matter and to give myself permission to have goals. Um, I had really kind of written myself off um, with having various diagnoses. And I just kind of felt like limited as if I would never be able to accomplish anything else in my life. And I just, the vision board gave me permission to live life again. It told me that you know help me see my purpose and to realize that you know God has not left me i'm he is not with dead he's with the living and you know I'm still alive and as long as I have breath that I can continue to work on me and to accomplish my goals
0: that's wonderful that that's wonderful well we are you know I could talk to you all day we're at the um, end of our conversation. And I I have a few rapid fire questions for you, Chanel. One is, if you could send a viral message regarding self-love or self-esteem to billions of women across the continent or the globe, what would that look Mm. like? What would that be?
1: It would be, say yes to yourself. I think so many times we tell ourselves mm-hmm. no and we talk ourselves out of everything, you know, even before your idea can truly hatch, we're already talking our way out of it. We're backtracking, we're backpedaling. I would say, you know, that you are wonderfully and distinctly made, that God has called you for this purpose in this time, that there's an anointing, that there is um some type of work that God has for you, that's only you and um, to walk within your purpose and to live your dreams and see your goals come to fruition, but say yes to yourself. You know, I give you permission to say yes to you while you're saying yes to your job and yes to your kids and yes to your spouse and yes to everything else, say yes to yourself.
0: That's beautiful, that's beautiful. What is your favorite activity? to do with
1: I love your watching movies and playing games with my family. We uh, movie nights for me are really good. We I get treats and popcorn, candy, and sometimes we do hot cocoa or just whatever drink of choice mm-hmm. and we kind of all veg out and watch movies together. So, I love time with my family. It makes me feel whole. It's very therapeutic. So, that's what it is. It's movie nights and games. Game night
0: Awesome. awesome. What's one place in the world you would like to visit and why?
1: Hawaii. It's
0: a great place.
1: I just want to go there. Yes, because it's just beautiful.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I plan on going very soon, but I want to go to Hawaii.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are you most grateful to God for?
1: Uh, I'm most grateful to God for his capacity to love me, despite my flaws, because mm-hmm. I'm a very flawed person and he chooses to love me. Mm-hmm. And for that, I'll just be forever grateful.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. What is the primary takeaway that you want women in particular to get from this devotional, this transformational devotional experience called Naked and and Not Ashamed?
1: I guess the main takeaway is that the book provides insights about women in various walks of life, women in the Bible, um, women who have had their good and their bad and their ugly, yet um, they encountered Christ. And when they encountered him, he changed their lives in um, just... In ways that are beyond human comprehension, Mm. Um, that I have my own journey with Christ with all of its ups and its downs, its twists and its turns, and yet my life has been forever changed by meeting him. Most importantly, it's about the reader because they have a story, Um, and in their story, um, I challenge them to meet Christ. And if they've met him and they've disconnected, I challenge them to reconnect with him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and be able to find their voice and to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many amazing stories that are just waiting to be told. And sometimes you just need to know that it's OK to tell your story. And so I'm just saying on today that it's OK to tell your story.
0: Yeah, yeah. I truly felt like this book, this this experience was an invitation for just that. I really did. Last question, Chanel. What do you want your legacy to be?
1: My legacy. That if God could choose to use me, then he can use anybody. And that really just sums it up because like I said, there's nothing special or unique about me. Um,
0: I beg to differ. I beg to differ, but...
1: (laughs) but i'm saying it's just right. very it's god um and if he could use me mm-hmm. then he can use anybody you know um and god is not a respecter of person and so sometimes we feel like we have to get things all together first and then christ can use us
2: mm-hmm.
1: when he says come to me as you are he's not talking about your dress or your appetite or whatever those various things he's talking about you, the person, you just come to me exactly the way you are. You're broken. You're wounded. You're scarred. You're flawed. You make mistakes. You have, you know, sometimes you don't have any direction. Don't know where you're going. All of these things. That's okay. Come to me just like that. And I'm going to take you as you are, But I'm going to build you. I'm going to tune you. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to mold you into this amazing being that I want you to be. And you're going to reflect my glory. And that's what it's really all about. So I am, like I said, I'm very flawed, very broken. Yet God chooses to use me. And that's what's fascinating about me.
0: Wow. That's a word. That's a word. And I I just thank you so much, Chanel, for. Being on this journey and your willingness to really share your heart, your soul, and your experiences, you know, uh, again, this is, these are the stories, uh, your, your story gives, you know, other women permission to share their own voice and uh, to really uh, be courageous in, in starting their own journey. So I thank you. I thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Shailene. I really appreciate it. It is amazing connecting with you. And I wish you and your beautiful family the best. And I love you guys.
0: Love you too, Chanel. I love you too. My heart is truly full. It was an absolute joy to hold space in this moment with my dear homegirl, Chanel. She is truly a living testament of how God can transform pain into not just power, but a superpower. I hope her journey inspired you and offered you a renewed sense of hope. Please pick up her amazing book, Naked and Not Shame," which is truly a transformative devotional experience for all people. I have included where you can purchase her book, her contact information, and where you can follow her in the show notes. I can't wait to see what God has in store for her. Also, if you want to read more about the neuroscience of trauma, pick up the book, What Happened to You, by the one and only Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry. It is extremely informative and a must-have in your mental health tool for healing. As always, listeners, thank you so much for supporting and speaking life into this podcast. You are the reason why I continue to do what I do. And of course, reach out to me with your questions and suggestions at interiormotorspodcast at gmail.com. As always, my beautiful people, please take time to pour into and honor yourself with love and grace. And until next time, be well and be blessed.